Chloe, will you have Keith to be your wedded husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him, in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. The rings, please. That's awesome. Hi, everybody. Man, what an honor to be back. You guys are gluttons for punishment. I, I've got to witness all those baptisms. I got to tell you, Jacob's enthusiasm was, was just encouraging, man, just contagious. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. That was awesome. Dad, congratulations, man. I got to baptize my two kids. There's no... There's no greater feeling in the world, man, just to watch God work and to be just God. Guys, I, I'm grateful to be back. I, I realize wholeheartedly that Patrick and I are, are we're close friends, but we're, we're just two different people. You know, Patrick's this elegant guy. You know, he and I are both kind of into the old classical music, and I feel like Patrick has this kind of cool vibe, this kind of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, you know, style. Done, you know what I mean? And I'm a little more like Larry the Cable Guy. Get her done. Uh, you know, he's, he's young. I'm old. I have hair. He's thin. It's a trade-off. You know, one of us is a good preacher, and that, that's what's really cool about the two of us. Um, hey, guys, let me, let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, we just love you. God, what a great God. I, I, love, I love what that precious lady just kept saying, man. We, when we're saved, there ought to be joy. You love us, God. You love us through thick and thin. You model. You, you, this, whole, this whole chapter was about your agape love. You just care. You're not keeping records wrong. You're not out to smash or destroy. You're out to build up. You're out, out to never let go. I pray, Father, if there's somebody in this room that is not experiencing the love and the joy of Christ, that the Holy Spirit would begin to break through that. I pray that if there's anybody here that just needs to be anointed with the oil of joy, with the oil of love, that, Father, this morning that will happen. That the Holy Spirit will just, just kind of break through like, like, like never before in that person's life. Father, we just love you and worship and praise you. And, and we invite you this morning. It's not what I have to say, God. It's what you have to say. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, this morning I have the privilege of digging into 1 Corinthians 13 with you. And most people, and Patrick even talked about this, will, will readily identify this passage as the love chapter. It, it's well known. It very literally defines what love is, what, what a relationship should look like. It's, it's a litmus test. You can kind of hold up any relationship to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and say, do you pass this test? If it hits on all cylinders, it's love. Man, if it's everything that's in there, it's love. If it misses the mark on two or three or four things, you might kind of say, well, man, that's, that's not love. Now, let, me let, me, let me read a few verses <clears throat> to illustrate what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's start in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice with injustice. 
but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures throughout every circumstance. If you have said you love someone and they have said they love you, then, then, then here's the test. In order to say you love someone, you need to be seeking to build him or her up, to raise their self-esteem, to deem them as valuable to be around. When you walk out of the room, they should feel better about themselves because of, of how you cared about them. The Bible says love is not rude. I love the word here. Rude here means to be unpresentable. It's love, love doesn't present you in an unpresentable light. It, it refers to how you might treat someone in public. Do you shame them or, or cause them embarrassment? Love doesn't belittle in front of others. It doesn't do that. I was at a baseball game recently with a few of my boys, and I was, I was at uh, gone up and ordered a hamburger, and, and, you know, they give you the bun, and you wait around the grill for him to be done. And there's four or five of us, and there's this young boy. He's probably about 11 years old. He's waiting on his hamburger, and his dad comes up, and he ends the line, and he says, hey, man, you got to hurry. We got to go to basketball practice. And the little guy said, hey, well, Dad, can I wait for my hamburger? I'm really hungry. He said, all right. And then the, the little boy said, and then, I mean, he said just so respectfully, he said, hey, Dad, did you remember to bring the basketball? And his dad said, don't you, how dare you question me in public? Don't you talk to me like that. I'm telling you guys, I wanted to throw my hamburger at the dad. I mean, I thought, man, you don't, you don't, you know, the Bible says, yes, children are to honor their parents, but it also says, fathers, you're not to exasperate your children to anger. That, he was not demonstrating love. He was rude and belittling, and love does not do that. Your loved ones demand that you do what they want the way they want to do it all the time. And maybe if you don't, then there's a withdrawal of affection or a lashing out of anger. That's not love. Love displays a lot of mutual agreement. It works together. It, it, it leads people into better life. It honors them and takes them to higher places, places they might not get if you weren't alongside of them. You're better because a person is in your life if they truly love you. Many of the kids I work with, Patrick didn't mention it in this service, but uh, I, I'm the lead pastor of an organization called Simi Valley Journey, and I work with at-risk young men and women for substance abuse, 14 to 21-year-olds who are hooked on meth and heroin and alcohol or you name it. And I, I work with that crew. And what I will find is a kid will go into rehab for a month or three months or six months or even a year. But a lot of times when they come out, it's the friends who say, hey, man, go to the party with me. Hey, man, just one more hit. Hey, man, just do it one more time. And it drags them back down. That is disgusting. That is not love. That's selfish hatred and, and, and self-loathing. Is your, is your love there no matter what? The Bible says it's enduring. No matter how many times someone you love blows it, you're just not, not going to give up on him. I mean, I can't tell you guys, I sit, sit in front of this crew and, 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 and I watch them, you know, I love them and I pour into them and I pour six months or a year or two years in them and, and the next thing I know, you know, they're coming and they're like, they're giving their testimony about how great God is and then, then, then I don't see them for three or four weeks and I find out they're back in jail, they've committed some other crime, they've, they, they, they started using again and they're in rehab and it, it's frustrating and, and I don't condone their behavior, but I want to continuously love them and be this connection to God because love never gives up. This passage could be a measuring stick as to how much you can truly say that you love someone or how much they can say they love you. And it's often used to say, hey, this is how I'm supposed to love my spouse or hey, this is how I'm supposed to love other Christians. And I want to tell you that's absolutely, that's true. 
the word used here for love, in fact, is agape. It's that intense love that defines how God feels about you and me. It is a love that God attains for us. So we might be even tempted to say, hey, I'm not God, and I can't love that way. But I'm here to tell you, the scripture tells us that we must love like this. We're not even given a choice. In fact, Paul is about to put the, the responsibility, the onus on us of loving exactly this way. He's about to inform us that if we are not able to love this way, then perhaps we're not very significant to the world around us. Guys, he makes some really extreme statements in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13. And this morning, I want us to read it like it's fresh and it's new. I want us to read it with the thought of, Paul, where were you going with this? Paul, why did you write the 1 Corinthians 13? What, what were you trying to say? What were you trying to tell me? I, I don't want to read, you know, you, you know, if you're in school and you, you, know, you read that history lesson or you read that report and you get to the first page and if somebody said, what did you read? You're like, I, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know. Anybody do that when school, you know, you read that first couple of pages and you're like, dude, I have no idea what I just read. I don't want to do that with the Word of God. I want to dig deep. So let's hear it as if we're hearing it for the first time. Let's get the depth of it. Let's get the, the, the strength behind Paul's words. Here's what he says. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If you have ever heard me sing, that's exactly what I sing like. When I sing, I have had worship pastors just gasp. I'm not even kidding. I mean, it's, it's horrible. And, it, and, it, and if you can speak in all the languages, but you don't love, then you sound like that. I have had three worship pastors please ask me to please stop singing. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul says some things that almost don't make sense when you step back and look at these verses. I mean, if you could speak every foreign language in the world and could even speak in fluent tongues, it would be useless if you didn't love others. When I lived in Poland, I used to pray every night, God, give me this language. God, teach me this language. It's a difficult language. It's a Slavic language. But God, I want to lead people to Jesus in their language. Maybe you're a very intelligent person. You know the word of God. I mean, you have studied it. You can quote it in most situations. There's this there's incredible guy that is mentoring me. He's about 65, 66 years old uh, in, in Simi Valley, California. His name is Pastor George Tegger. And George has read through the Bible from cover to cover 40 times. He reads through the Bible twice a year, every year. And I will be sitting with George and talking about dreams or talking about this. And, man, I wonder if the Bible, you know, speaks to that. And George will say, well, you know, in Zephaniah chapter 2, it says, I'm like, no. Is Zephaniah in the Bible, George? I mean, he just, he just knows the word of God. Perhaps you're an influential person in this church or even in this city or in a state, and that's all great. But you know what the bigger question is? How good are you at loving people? 
You know, I told Patrick, and I told Patrick in his office, I said, Patrick, if anybody ever told you that I said something negative about you, I want you to look him in the eye and say, you, sir, are a liar. Because they don't do that. I've got your back. I love you. I want to love like Jesus. And the Bible says God keeps no records of wrong. I want to be that guy. It does, none of this other stuff matters. If I'm not very good at loving, if I don't have your back, if I'm not trying to lead you to a higher level, then I'm just a clanging symbol. If you don't... If you understood every page of the Bible and knew the answers to every biblical question, but you didn't love God and others, then it wouldn't matter at all really to anybody. Maybe you're that person who, who, who kind of, you feel like the watchdog for, for, for life and for other Christians for the church, and you kind of keep a list, and, and you make sure everybody's dotting every I and, and crossing every T, and you've got this spirit of self-righteousness or bitterness. That is not love. If your faith in God were so strong that you could literally stop waves like Jesus, but you didn't love others, then you'd be useless to the world around you. That's pretty intense. I mean, if I hadn't read this in the Bible, I might be tempted to doubt it. But according to Jesus, Paul, and the word of God, love is the apex of Christianity. It's the highest height we can reach. Jesus himself said it's the greatest commandment. Learning to love is more important than possessing any gift. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Paul and hence the words of the Bible. But Paul's intention here was not to give us some sort of standard by which we could measure how much our, we love our spouse or we love our friends or how much they love us. No, that, that's not what Paul was getting at. Here, here's what he was getting at. We must, yes, we must love the people inside of the church so that we can begin to love the people outside of the church as much as we love the people inside of the church. That's a lot. Let me say that again. We must love the people inside of the church so that we can begin to love the people outside of the church as much as we love the people inside of the church. Paul said love is patient and kind. It's not rude. It's not demanding of others. It's not irritable, always whining and complaining. It keeps no records of wrong. That's a, a biggie. It rejoices when someone does the right thing, and love never gives up. And you and I are called to love according to that biblical definition and according to Paul. If we don't, then we are ineffective. We're just a loud noise to those around us. Advice or correction given without love is just annoying. But who are we supposed to love? The definition of love here is incredibly simple to understand. Maybe not to do, but incredibly easy to understand. Listen, Paul's intent in 1 Corinthians is much more than just giving us a convenient test for our personal relationships. Guys, Paul is giving us the key, the key to reaching the world for Christ. He is giving us the key to reaching Evansville for Christ, to reaching the tri-state area, to reaching the sixth county, to reaching the person in that Starbucks you go to or that hotel you go to every time you come in. He is giving us the apex of how to love people so that they will come into the kingdom. That's his ultimate intent. That's why he wrote this. He didn't want to give some cute thing to read at a wedding. 
although I, I think I've read it in many ways. You see, we must begin to love the people outside of the church as much as we love the people inside of the church, and sometimes almost even more, because you remember what Jesus told the disciples? He said, a good shepherd will leave 99 sheep and go after that one that's lost. Parable after parable. You remember how Paul ends 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And we put in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The, 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 the chapter breaks weren't there originally. It was written as one letter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29, Paul says this. Says this are, are, are we all apostles? How many apostles in here? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Some of us maybe. Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Now you, you may sit out here and you say, Rick, I can't preach, man. I can't teach. Maybe you can. I, I, can't, I can't understand foreign languages. I don't learn them really well. I, I wouldn't do great on a mission field. So Paul said, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. You, you may not be able to do that, but every one of us should do this. And then he said, but now let me show you the way of life that is best of all. And the best way he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is love because he rolls right into the definition. You see what he's doing there? Not giving us some cutesy litmus test. He's saying, listen, you may not be able to speak like I speak or teach like I teach or write like I write, but you had better be able to love the way I love. Because this is God's definition of love. Paul begins by letting us know that what he's going to say in 1 Corinthians 13 is so significant that if we can't get it down then we may be insignificant to the world around us. We will be like a noisy gong. He actually said, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but did not love others, I would be nothing. I would be nothing. You know what, if Paul said those things at most local churches today and he were on staff, he would be fired. Not allowed to say that. Not allowed to say things like that, are you? I had a friend in California text me. He was so distraught. And he's the pastor of a big church down there, a big church. And he, and he said to me, he said, man, he goes, I've got this couple and I really trust them. But they came to me and they said, you know, we're leaving this church because we're not growing because it just frustrates me so much. And I said, I said, dude, the next time somebody tells you we're leaving because we're not growing, you ask them when is the last time they led somebody to Jesus. And I'll guarantee you the answer will be never. You're not here to just be fed. You're here to learn how to feed. It is not. It is so much, guys. I mean, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. I'm going to run out in the street with a sign. That's not what life is about, man. You are not, God is not your Coke machine. You're his Coke machine, man. He puts change in, presses a button, and gets what he wants. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
And I want to stop here for clarity. Before I go on, I need to say something. Whether, and listen, please hear this. Whether you are reaching the world for Christ or not, you are valuable. Whether you are saved or not, you are valuable. If you know Jesus, then you are a saint and a child of God. And if you don't know Jesus, then he is in hot pursuit of you because you are valuable. He loves you so much that he thought you were worth the life of his son. And that is mind-blowing, but that's how much he loves. In fact, Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is exactly how he loves you. He's seeking your benefit and your best. He keeps no record of wrongs for those who have known Jesus, whose sins are forgiven. He will never give up on you. That's the gospel. See, the question is not whether or not you are valuable, because you are. The question is, are you significant? Because you can be valuable and yet be very insignificant. Webster defines significant as sufficiently great or important to be worthy of attention, to be noteworthy. How sufficiently great are you? How noteworthy are you? What group are you impacting or whose lives are you pouring into? To such an extent that you have become sufficiently great. Who looks more like Jesus because you're in their life? What group are you grooming in order to bring into this church in Easter or to tell about Jesus? We must begin to love the people outside of the church as much as we love the people inside of the church. I, 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 there's, I, I attend a couple of churches in California because of support and things that we do with them. And there's just one church, and by gosh, it's a little plant. It started about three years ago, but they have been the most faithful. They've got two elders and a pastor. In fact, the pastor that I told you was discipling me is the pastor of that church. And the elders are tremendous guys. They've given to our ministry. One of them did our website. And they don't have a youth ministry. And they said, Rick, would, would you help us start a youth ministry? And I said, sure, I would. And, and they were talking about just one or two kids that come, young guys that come. And I said, dude, why don't you send the one guy to our place on Monday, and then we'll try to launch something out of there. And one of the elders, and I love him, he has the greatest heart in the world. He is a giver, a generous man. He's an entrepreneur. But he said this to me. He said, oh, we don't want our kids with your kids. And in and in God's ultimate sense of humor, I, we didn't tell this family that we were going to try to launch a ministry out of that family. I got a text from that kid's mom. Hey, just found a bottle of prescription drugs in his backpack. Took his phone away from him and found out he's not only using drugs, he's selling drugs. I've got news for all of you here. Your kids are my kids. We, we say that we work with at-risk young men and women. Every young man or woman in this country is at risk right now. There's more meth and heroin in Indiana than there is in the state of California. If you can believe that, if you don't look it up, we are all at risk. And you and I have got to come to the point where we look at, I'm not saying condone the sin. Do not hear me say I'm saying that. And do not email me about it because I am not saying it. I am not saying condone the sin. But we need to be able to look at the homosexual, the addict, the whatever, you name it, and love them just as much as we love our own brother and sister sitting next to the pew on us. Because they'll never come into the church until we can do that. You want to lead somebody like to Jesus, you better start looking like Jesus. 
Remember when Jesus was sitting there and he's having dinner and this woman comes in and she's a prostitute and she's washing Jesus' feet with her hair and she's pouring perfume on it and all the Pharisees were saying, dude, if he knew what she was like and he's like, I know what she's like and she's more grateful than you are because her sins are many but I love her and I forgive her and that's what Jesus did. Jesus was always hanging out with the wrong crowd. Always. You want to... You want you want you gotta look like Jesus and love like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. How good are you at loving others defines your significance to the world around you. And Paul says he's gonna show us the most excellent way. He's cluing us into the apex of Christianity, which is love. And let me say this, let me say this, let me say this twice. Catch this. A significant love leads to significant action. Significant love leads to significant action. We must become significant to the people of Evansville, Indiana, and the six counties, and the tri-state area in order to reach the apex of love, in order to reach them for Christ. And the Bible not only defines love for us, but exactly what love looks like. I mentioned mentioned this passage last time I spoke here, and I I want to look at it this morning. And Jesus gives us just a few things, and he says, dude, if you do these few things, you got it. Just these few things. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. This is the second coming. This is a glorious judgment seat. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father and blessed there means that God literally intervenes in your life for joy, for peace, for things that shouldn't even happen to you, but they happen on a regular basis. And I don't have time to tell you how many times God does that for us. But he says, man, God has intervened in your life all your life and you are sheep way there on my right side. I got some goodies for you. Hey, goats, go over there. I don't know you. I'm not talking to you. He's going to separate them. He says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry. I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Jesus lays out a short list of things that the sheep, the righteous, the godly men and women did that separated them from the pack. If you got on this list, then you weren't just a clanging symbol. You weren't nothing. You were ranked among those who loved well. You were significant. I want to break those down a little bit. Jesus said, first off, and, and Greek scholars, I get it. I'm not going to pronounce it. I took Greek, but I'm still not going to pronounce these right. He said, I was hungry. The word is pianao. It literally means to be starved. It can be starved for food. It can be starved for love. It can be starved for attention. It can be starved for the truth of salvation. Just starved, just hungry, just needy. I, I, I was, a couple of weeks ago, I was in my car and I was 
And this really cool golf ministry that we do with these kids, especially the ones that we're really discipling, man, it just, I, it just blows their minds how much they love golf. So we took some kids to a driving range, and I was coming home from the driving range and dropping a three of my three of them in my car. I was going to drop them off, and the phone rings, and I answered it on speaker because I live in California, and if you have your, you touch your phone in California, it's a $150 fine. If you pick it up, it's a $350 fine, and I know that because my precious wife has illustrated that to me. Uh, uh, <laughs> And the police department in Simi Valley many, many times over. So she actually was the first person in Simi Valley to get a ticket uh, for being on her phone. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and it's the week that they were only going to give out warnings. But somehow, by God, she pulled it off. Um, so I'm in the car. And, and the phone rings. And it's my daughter. She's 23 years old. And she still calls me daddy because we're from the south. And I love that. And she's, daddy, listen, I don't have to be at work till 9 o'clock tomorrow. Why don't you pick me up? Why don't we head out, we'll get up to Starbucks at 8 o'clock, and we'll have Starbucks together, and then I'll go into work. And I said, oh, of course, sweetie, great plan. I, of course I'll do that. I'll clear the calendar. I'll be there at 9. I'll get you. We'll, we'll go out and we'll have coffee together. And then, and then I hung up the phone, and I said, man, it's so cool. I said, my son just turned 20. I said, you know, Josh and I, we just spent the whole day together yesterday. We just went to the movies, and we just hung out today. And I said, I love spending time with my kids so much. And, and two of the boys are brothers, and one of them said, my dad has never, ever taken me to coffee. And then the other boy said, I don't even know if my dad drinks coffee. And, I, and, 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 and man, I'm telling you, sometimes, man, sometimes people are just so hungry, man, and sometimes you've got to come alongside of them and be the big brother, and sometimes you've got to be the best friend, and sometimes you've got to be the dad, and some, you've got to do whatever it takes to love that person. Because so many people are starved for love and intention. Evansville, Indiana is filled with people just like that who are starved for people and for a God who loves them. What about the Bible says thirsty means to be dry or to dipsao, it means to be dry or thirsty. It can mean figurative or much like hunger. But you remember that Jesus said, Jesus said, I, I am the living water. He who drinks from me will never be thirsty again. And, and Jesus was saying, man, I was thirsty because remember, I, you didn't see me, but you saw but when you did this to the least of the person, you did it to me. And I was so thirsty and you poured living water. You shared Christ with me. I was a stranger. Verse three, I'm sorry, number three, rather, I was a xenos, I was a stranger. Stranger means not of one's family. He, he, for those of you who might want to say, well, he was just talking about taking care of people inside the church. No, he uses the word stranger, and it literally means not of one's family, not belonging to a community, not belonging to your community. You took me into your home. You poured your life into me when I was lonely and needy. You were there for me. You poured into me. Uh, we've got this, this, this guy. He's not a little guy. He's a big guy. He's a young guy, but he's a big guy. comes on Monday nights, he just started coming, and I got to lead him to Jesus, and I got and I got to baptize him, and I love him. But he is what I refer to as E G R. Anybody know what that means? Extra grace required. Difficult to be around him, and I love him. I really do. His dad died when he was 12 years old, and he's he's now 17, and and he would tell me about how his dad and he used to do everything together, and he is a needy dude. And and one of the things about this guy, and I love him, he he does not. He does not shower and he does not wash his clothes. And I will pick him up or take him home on a Monday night. And guys, I'm not lying. I have the car window down and my head out of it. And, and I'm like, hey, man, that's awesome. Well, praise God, you know. And I, and I, and I, and, and, and I, 
you know, and, 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 you know, he just, God bless him. And when he gets out of my car, I'll never forget, the next day, my daughter and I got in the car. We were driving somewhere for her birthday, and she goes, what's that smell in the car? And she goes, oh, you took so-and-so home. Sometimes I pick up kids, and they, and they smell like marijuana. They smell like pot, and it is in my car for days, man. I will pick them up and bring them to money. Not the pot, just the smell. But it, it, <laughs> Patrick is laughing way too much. You know, just the smell. But this kid, God bless him, he is so, so socially clueless. He is so not a part of a community. And so we started praying, what can we do? And then this guy comes to me. He owns his own boxing ring. He's a champion. He said, Rick, he goes, he goes man, it's normally $125, but for $75, bucks, you, can sp- you can sponsor a kid every month. And I said, I'm going to put this kid in boxing. I'm going to put this kid in boxing. And I got a phone call from the champ, and he said, Rick, he is thriving. He is loving it. People have taken him under his wing. His confidence is going way up. I am looking for any way, any way, any way to love this kid into the kingdom, any way to feed him, any way to take him from being a stranger and making him a part of the family. Because I understand that I have to love the people inside of the church But I also have to love the people outside of the church as much as I love the people inside of the church. That is my job. That is the onus that Paul put on me. People in Evansville, Indiana will go to hell without this church. How about about you took me in Sinago to, to take into one's house to give hospitality and protection. This is messy stuff. This is looking at the kid who's the addict and loving him like he's your own. It's taking him into your church and your heart, maybe, maybe even in your own home when you really don't want to. I'm, 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 I'm running out of time. I got to tell you this story. I, I stand up here so many times and I tell you stories of, of how I was able to lead people to Jesus and, and how wonderful I am. And I, I only tell you those stories because, one, I'm up here and, t- and two, they're true. But, <laughs> but I got to tell you the story, man. A couple Mondays ago, uh, uh, tomorrow will be two weeks back. I, I, I blew it really big time. I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. I, 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 I had my... My, I just, I am a car fanatic, you know, and I just had the side of my car painted, and I park in the driveway, and there's about a three-foot gap between, you know, the edge of the driveway and my car, because my wife parks in the driveway, too, and my, my daughter comes in, and she goes, Daddy, this is early Monday, she goes, Daddy, there's, there's these two kids down the street, and their mom and dad are with them, and that kid keeps coming up our stairs, going across our our, our front of our lawn and down our driveway and he's got metal handlebars and he is right next to your car and he's unstable and I'm like oh what I'm out in the front with my you know with my diet coke just waiting you know for anybody to come by and I don't see him well that night Monday night all of our guys are gathering all my volunteers are there and my wife comes in and she goes because Rick she said, that couple came over, and those kids were coming up and I said hey guys you can't come up our stairs and the kids said oh yes I can and he said, I said to the mom, hey, can you stop him? And she said, you just, she just turned around and ignored me. She said, I had to grab the handlebars to keep the kid from coming up. And now I'm like, what are you, what? And I, and I grabbed two of my volunteers to go down there. And you have to understand my Wednesday, my Monday night crew. I have a guy, Carlos, and I'm not making this up. He's six foot four, 300 pounds of solid muscle, and he benches 475 pounds. The very first time he walked into my house, a kid came running up to me and said, the Mexican Incredible Hulk just came into the house. 
He's a freak of nature. And now I've got Robert. Have any of you seen the show Hunted on CBS, that commander where they hunt people across America? The guy who is the commander-in-chief of that show, he is my executive director. And Robert is a big, big guy. And so the three of us go marching down, four houses down, and that guy's out on the lawn with his kids. And I'm like, hey, man, you need to keep your kids away from my car. And he's like, well, that's why you have insurance. And I'm like, I'm not the one to say that to, you know. And I act like a total idiot, you know. Honestly, I'm just like, I am so far from looking like like Jesus, you know, it's insane. And I go home and my daughter goes, my daughter goes, Dad, you were you were right in doing that. And and all my volunteers were like, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean that's wrong. I mean, can't even control their own children. And you know, and and you had a right to be mad, but the Holy Spirit said to me, man, no, you don't. So later on that night when it was all over and I'm taking guys home and dropping people off, it's about nine o'clock and I called Toys R Us. The hell lady opened, 9.30, shot over to Toys R Us, and I bought a $40 gift certificate. And I walked, I got home, my volunteers were still there, my kids were all gone. I, I walked over to that house, and I knocked on the door, and the guy answered the door, you know, looking all defeated, like, man, here it comes again. And I said, dude, I held out that gift certificate. I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I can be such an idiot. I am so sorry. Because I wasn't right. I wasn't right. And he looked at that $40 gift certificate. He goes, man, no, come on, man, that's too much. And I said, brother, I don't have kids. Well, I can't use a Toys R Us gift certificate. Gift certificate. And then I started thinking, well, actually, yeah, there's a lot of things I could buy at Toys R Us. For. There's really cool Nerf guns. But I'm like, no, 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 dude, you know. And, man, he came out and hugged me. You know what I did? It cost me 40 bucks to buy back my integrity. It cost me 40 bucks to earn the right to tell that guy about Jesus. I, what, what, what if I hadn't done that and I walked down the street, hey man, you want to come to Easter service with me? No, you're a jerk. <laughs> but man, that guy hugged me. He, he was so grateful. He was so thankful. His wife comes to the door in a very volatile situation immediately became a loving situation because I am concerned about that family knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not about being right. It's about keeping no record of wrong. That's what Paul was talking about. The Bible isn't just about being saved. It's about saving. You and I are literally saved to start loving the world around us. We are saved to start living for Christ. And when you begin to do that, he begins to pour joy and purpose and significance into your life. We're given a choice, guys. Throughout our lives, we can be the sheep or we can be the goats. We can be the ones who cared and showed it. The ones who loved we must love the people inside the church because many of us fit that needy description, but it doesn't stop there. We must begin to love the people outside of the church as much as we love the people inside of the church. Paul was shipwrecked and beaten and, and left alone and left to die and stoned so that he could go around the world telling people about Jesus. Why did Paul write 1 Corinthians? That was Paul's intention. Love well. Father, we love you. We worship you and we praise you. God, we exist for your honor and for your glory.
help us to love well because there are people in Indiana who will go to hell without this church. There, there are people in, 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 in Indiana in the tri-state area who will never know Jesus because of the way we represented Jesus. Help us, Father, to love well. Our heart's desire is to be the sheep who worship and praise and love and adore you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening.